emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we are doing Free Rider Friday for the month of February. How's it going, Ed? Ron, it's going good. Um, as I always like to disclose, we're pre-recording this show. Uh, we're not we're not live because I am on my way back as we're speaking. And if you're listening live, on my way back from South Africa. So uh, uh, if I answer that question in the future, my guest would be tired. I'm tired, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that's going to be something. Well, yeah. Ed. I'm just going to dive right in because my stack is bulging, as I'm sure yours is. Mm -hmm. This one might be in your stack. I don't know. I know you pay attention to this, too. But let's talk a little bit about the Human Freedom Index. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. For 2017, issued by the Cato Institute and the Fraser Institute, uh, joint uh, two think tanks, Fraser's up in Canada, and... A lot to say about this, but uh, I'll just give the highlights. Here are the top five freest countries in the world, according to this index. Number one is Switzerland. Number two is Hong Kong. Number three is New Zealand. Number four is Ireland. And number five, our friends in Australia. The United States, Ed, has slipped to number 17 I saw that seventeen. It depresses me, Ron. That's a big. That's a big drop. We used to be in the top five. Yep. Uh, yep. T- talk a little bit, if if you could, about what how they put this index together. I understand it's, it's an index, so therefore it's a compile a compilation of lots of different indicators and statistics, right? It is. There's a personal freedom, a group of measurements that they look at. There's also an economic freedom, and then there's a human freedom. And, you know, like most measures and, and really metrics, I'm, I'm skeptical of this. Um, you know, I think, and, and, and they changed apparently some of the weighting uh, mm-hmm. to look at gender bias, to give that more weight, which made the Middle Eastern company, uh, countries come in lower. Um, so, you know, of course, <laughs> all measurements are judgments, right? So depending on how you, what you measure and how you weight things, you'll get different results. But it does kind of give us a vector. Uh, if you go to the other extreme, by the way, the the, uh, the least free countries, Iran, Egypt, uh, Republic of Yemen, Libya, Venezuela, and Syria is number 159, the last mm-hmm. on the list. Um, North Korea doesn't make the list dead because there's not enough data. Yeah, it's not even on the list. So therefore, it would be like number 200, actually. <laughs> Uh, 44% of the world's population live in low levels of freedom, which is depressing, but, but better than it was, say, 100 years ago. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the least free regions of the world are the Middle East and North Africa and Eastern Europe. Um, it's really interesting. I didn't read the whole report. I read some of it, uh, and we'll certainly link to it. But why do you think the United States has gone down so much? Well, I think that there's a, a, several reasons. I think one of which is is clearly the fact that we have implemented uh, or attempted to implement m- more uh, socialized medicine. You can, I mean, I'm, I get that it's not a fully you know single payer system, but since that's a, such a huge part of our economy, I think that significantly reduces our amount of freedom, especially since we have these you know the stupid law that ties our medical insurance uh, to our employer. It's, I mean, it's not a law that ties that. It's it's a law. It's a it's a tax benefit that continues to allow that to happen. But I think the other reason is I think there's a, unfortunately a lot of states. In the U.S., that have begun to regulate more and more industries. I mean, you know, down here in Texas, I've, I think I've talked about this a number of times on the show. Do you have to have a license to shampoo hair? Uh, in 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 Louisiana, you have to have a license to arrange flowers. Um, it's it's just nuts that so many of these that, that states now have have begun to pile on burdens for people who who want 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 to work. In things that are that are clearly not uh, professions, at least the way that they have been tr- traditionally thought of, and all they are is just impositions on people to to not allow them to work. And the other big one is you know hair braiding. Although I think that that's starting to reverse itself. You know, th- there's a, several states that require that if you want to braid hair, you have to go to cosmetology school, even though you will use absolutely zero from anything that you learn at cosmetology school. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think the regulation is, is an enormous part of it. I think, uh, obviously, tax, taxes went up, so that would, that probably played a little bit of a role in the drop. Uh, but, yeah, you have, to, you have to pin a lot of it on just over-regulation, occupational licensing, zoning, environmental, you know, not letting you build on your property because you know, you've got a, a tractor track that's got water in it and now you've got a you know a wetland on your property <clears throat> yep yeah no i i agree with all those things so anyway I, that that would be my take as to why i think think it is i it'd be curious to see if if since the the the, the tax changes here in the states if it reverses itself a little bit they do this is it every year on or every two years that they do this I think the last one was 15, so it might be every two years. Every two years. That's what I yeah. thought. Yeah. So it'll be, be interesting to see if we if if the United States reverses itself a little bit. Look, you know, set, as much as we're we're concerned with it, 17 doesn't suck, right? Um, still still near the top 10 percent, but you know, clearly this this to be an indicator for us that that some things need to be done, and this is where I would strongly encourage everybody. At least in the United States, I know we have an international audience, but you know this is true regardless of the country you live in. Get involved in in politics at a local level because I think that's where a lot of these freedoms are uh, discriminated against. Yeah, you know John Stossel uh, wrote a column on this uh, report as well, and he said that uh, he went to open a business in Hong Kong, and it took him a few hours. In New York, it took him months. Could mm-hmm. take even longer depending on the type of business, right? Yep. In India, he said, "I stopped trying because it's going to take years." And so right. that's that goes back to that whole World Bank, you know, that the ease of doing business report that they put out, and you know that's obviously a big part of this as well. But um, 
we'll put the link up, folks, and you can read the report, make draw your own conclusions. But I just, I, I can remember going down to Australia for the first time, Ed, in 2000, and one of the things I showed everybody was where they ranked, you know, where Australia and New Zealand ranked, and they were always in the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in some years they were, you know, they were one ahead of us. But now we've slipped. <laughs> we've slipped uh, a little ways back. So. Yeah, the the surprise one in there for me is Ireland, considering that they do have you know fairly massive social programs there. But again, it, that's that's only one element of of many, and I think the Ireland has made some some in, incredible strides in the last two decades. So kudos yeah, to them. That's cut, about yeah, they've cut regulation, they've cut spending, they've cut taxes. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So yeah, no, they have. I know they have one of the lowest tax rates in the world. So. Good for okay. Ireland, the land of land of, of three of, of four, three or four of my grandparents, Ron. So, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, Ed, what do you got? Well, you know, you brought this up in the uh, on a, a tangential basis on the previous one. So let's let's talk about the gender gap in pay because this this is something that I that has come up recently in a couple debates on on Facebook. And wanted to talk a little bit about this. The, the story that I posted on Facebook was about the fact that female models, Ron, make more money than male models, right? And it were, uh-huh. said it said it, said in the normal inverse, male models only only make seventy three or seventy eight cents on the dollar. So yep. I I posted the story and said that this you know this is just awful. And then a lot of people, you know, got it that it was a t- tongue-in-cheek reference. But then there was a couple people who li- who said on and says, "Well, you're joking, right?" And I said, "Well, I'm joking, but not in the way you think I'm joking." <laughs> and that that is to say that that I, my my big beef with this is not that there uh, is not a gender gap in terms of pay. There is. It it's absolutely demonstrable. The economic facts are you can't you can't dispute them. Right, and I, you know, what you accept what number you want seventy nine cents, eighty four cents. I see it's all over the place, but what what seems to be all always almost inextricably linked to that is the fact that the reason for that is greedy capitalists, right, who want nothing more than just to to reduce the salaries of this again of the the this minority, which is not true because they're actually the majority of people in the world, women, right. And that they are just taking advantage of this, and to me, just just doesn't ta- ta- pass. You know what? What uh, I guess it was uh, Walter Williams calls the economic sniff test, right? Which is just well, okay. If that were true, if it's if if greedy capitalists only want to are, are in it for the buck, well, wouldn't they just hire all women at seventy nine sure. cents on the dollar? Yeah, right? They would. They would hire all the men. <laughs> Right, and so we said, well, no. They they say you're you're they're biased toward men. I said, well, okay, if maybe, all right, I'll so I'll accept that. But then you can't say that they're greedy and just in it for the buck, right? See, and that that's really what my my whole point in in this is is noting the discrepancy, is, is that you you can't say both of those things are true. Now there is a gender gap, there is a pay gap between genders, but what explains it? is a different story. And I think one of the best ones that I came across is one that was in Forbes 
Forbes Forbes magazine, and this was from uh, I lost the date on this, but we'll we'll post it up in the show notes. But the the headline is the gender pay gap is the result of being a parent, not discrimination. And what what this this guy traces is hey, the 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 pay gap among men who are more interested in being parents and parenting, and I don't just mean stay-at-home dads. That's not what I'm talking about, but taking more of an active role in their their upbringing of their children. Well, guess what? They have the same pay gap as women. Yep. And this has been studied to death by economists, female economists too. The the evidence is overwhelming. I actually debated this in in college back when college wasn't so PC, and thank God because I would have been evicted. Back then, <laughs> the gap was fifty nine cents. Today it's okay. seventy nine cents. I made the argument that this has nothing to do with discrimination, everything to do with personal choices. Because when you compare single women's earnings to single men's earnings, the gap disappears. When you compare uh, just single men and married men, the gap between those two is astronomical. Married men make way more than single men, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of things going on here. Biology, like you said, being a parent. Well, I got news for people. Biology discriminates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> men can't yep. have kids. So there's all sorts of reasons economists have studied this, and discrimination just doesn't even hit the radar screen. No sane employer these days is going to discriminate against talented women who make up half the labor pool. That would just be economic suicide, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. th- there's so much more to say on this, but I, I, I know we need, to, we need to take a break. So why don't we finish this conversation on the other side? And folks, in the meantime, if you want to contact Ed or myself, send us an email at asktsoe at verisage.com. And we will, of course, post full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing Free Rider Friday for February. And Ed, just uh, one last point on this gender gap thing, because there's so much to say about this. And there is a fantastic book by a female economist whose name escapes me at the moment. And I'll try and get the the book and, and put the link in the show notes. But she's just demolished this as as have the academic literature on this is overwhelming Fr- from the economics profession is mm-hmm. overwhelming. It has nothing to do with discrimination and everything to do with personal choices. I mean, men go into more dangerous occupations. That's just one factor, right? High rises and, you know, things like that where, you know, they, there's a there's a pay for higher risk. But the other thing, Ed, that, that offends me about this discrimination argument, equality of pay exists nowhere, even among men. <laughs> Right. You know, I, I mean, not just married versus unmarried or single, but it's just it, it, there's different factors here. I mean, value is subjective. Productivity is going to differ depending on your attitudes towards risk and work and a, a bunch of other factors that are just immeasurable. So just to, to, to just look at the average of 79 cents, 83 cents, whatever it is, and say that entire gap is explained by discrimination, it's just that—that that is such a weak theory. Uh, and and the last point I'll say is, if you want equality, visit a cemetery. Yeah, the German proverb, right? Yeah, uh, you know the look. I, I want to be clear about my point. Is there discrimination? Yeah, there probably is. Okay, but my 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 biggest point is it due to the greed of capitalists and people just wanting to make a profit, I, I think you can absolutely dismiss that argument, right? Yep. Because, <clears throat> because again, if, if that's true, then it would also be true that these same people would only hire women because they could do it at 80 cents on the dollar. Now, the one, one other thing that I want to bring up, and this is a, a commenter brought this up on, on Facebook. And I think it's an interesting point, And that is, is that, it, it, it was in his experiences, and this is anecdotal, I don't have any evidence for this, but he said that men tend to negotiate their salary more than women do. And women tend to just be, to, to accept what, what, what salary is offered. Yep. And, and I, I, think that, I think that might be true. I don't have any evidence. I'm just thinking that bears out with the anecdotal conversations that I've been a part of. The second yep. thing I want to point out is that, you know, in our work with with bookkeepers, especially in Canada, many of whom happen to be female, right? Um, I think we've both found that two, two things are true. One, they tended to underprice themselves to begin with, right? Yep. But two, once they begin to understand that value is subjective, they're better at it than men, <laughs> And have significantly increased their their uh, salaries, if you will. Most of them, most of them are sole proprietors, so it's done through by just better pricing. But once they start to get, once they have been given given some of the the ideas, I find them to be better prices overall than than men. <laughs> right, and I've I've re- there is some literature also on that whole negotiating point that that 
that women are less likely to negotiate, especially like starting salaries or, or raises after a period of time. Men are more likely to go in and ask for a raise or negotiate on a beginning salary. So I think there's some evidence for that. But then on the self-esteem point of pricing, I, I find just the, the same lack of self-esteem in men, whether they're lawyers or accountants or whatever. So I'm, I'm, Hmm. I'm, I, yeah, that that's less convincing to me than the salary point. Right. Right. Well, I just, but, and again, I just want to say that's anecdotal on my part. It's not yeah, evidence no. that I have. Right. A- absolutely. But a- anyway, it, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating topic. And uh, but but folks, read the economic literature on this because it's just overwhelming. This has very little to do with discrimination, and that I even dispute that discrimination exists. And and even if you concede that it does. That means a business owner is paying a price for it. True. That's true. Which, All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, okay, I got a real quick one. Okay. <laughs> I, I have to say, you know, for as obsessed as you and I are with the driverless car, uh, <laughs> I, I never thought about this. This came from The Economist called the Upchuck Wagon, <laughs> February 3rd edition. Um, All right. Should we should warn people if they've had lunch to uh, bag, well, you know? Yeah, probably. If, okay. if you get car sick, you might you might want to not listen to this. But twenty-three uh, percent of those surveyed said they'll they'll never ride in in a driverless car. They won't even get in one. Um, okay. It's kind of interesting. I think that'll probably hopefully change over time. But there is five to ten percent of the population that that do suffer from nausea while in an automobile. And it's really interesting. I mean, this whole motion sickness thing is caused by a conflict between signals arriving in the brain from the inner ear, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're looking yep. at something in the automobile, like, say, a magazine or something that's stationary, yep. uh, you know, your eyes inform you uh, that what you're looking at is not moving. Right. But your inner ears will tell you that you are. Mm-hmm. And so the brain concludes that you're hallucinating because you've ingested poison. And that's what causes you to throw up. Uh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So right. that is interesting. So anyway, this this uh, university group uh, has come up with uh, a patent for um, this idea to arrange for an array of small lights to appear in the periphery of your of your field of view, and apparently this this tricks your inner ear, um, and you don't get you don't get motion sickness. So. Really interesting. They're working on this. And of course, you know, I think this would be a big thing for Uber and Lyft. If they ever do get into these autonomous cars, then, you know, at least they could save a fortune in cleaning bills. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Um, well, you know, it's interesting because I wonder if the same is true for people on airplanes, because there's plenty of people I know who get sick in cars if they try to read, but they are totally fine with reading or, or, or watching some, uh, some kind of video on an airplane. Yeah, you know, so apparently wonder, there's something different about an airplane than a car. Mm-hmm. They, they they don't really know this. What I just said about the you know the tricking your brain and causing you to think you've ingested poison that's a hypothesis. That hasn't. That's just a theory. Okay. They, they don't really know, but I think the article even does mention that there is a difference between an automobile and a plane. Emotion. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if it has to do with you know re- speed relative, you know, so th- or or smoothness of the ride, that that kind of thing. Right, Tur- uh, you know, turning and you know, mm-hmm. 
all that. So, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. just you know, and all this talk, and you, know, you get so excited about the technology and everything, and then you forget these pedestrian problems, you know, <laughs> that come up. I mean, I, you know, I've been in cars with people who get motion sickness. It's not fun, you know. Right. And that's right. going to happen in a driverless yep. world. Yeah. Well, along those lines, Ron, I'll, I'll, you can. We, this can be mine because I'll I'll keep this one quick too. But uh, I had my my first ride the other day in a in a seven eight seven. I know you you've been in a couple of them. Yeah. And, uh, and so I I have to say I I think you know this is it's it's you know it's n equals one sample size here. So <laughs> that I believe the the ride was a little bit smoother and slightly better from a pressure standpoint. I can tell you that their cabin lighting is a lot better. That they they do a nice job with the cabin lights, but. That's that. That is something that they could fix on every plane. Just I think this just happens to be newer, but uh, and, and they like, are, by the way, yeah. I think they are doing that. Yeah, did did like the experience of the seven eight seven. So look forward to a couple more and see you know see if I big up my my sample size. But you're you're convinced you like them a lot better, right? I do because and and did you you didn't notice a demonstrable difference in the cabin pressure? No, not one no. ride. I mean, and I think you know. Here's the thing. I think that that part of that ha- is is so uh, personal, and it's also based on like whether you not you have a slight cold, right? Um, right, I, I, fever, I, allergies. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I think that that might have been part of it, and also the fact that I I was fl- I was flying. Uh, within 24 hours of having previously flown, and I and I think that there's a carryover from from that that flight as well. When when you fly, I've, I find that when I fly within, you know, it's usually got to be 48 hours or more between flights where I, I will notice that there's there's no difference. Other than that, if I fly within 24 hours, it's like I can feel it the second flight more. How long was the flight, Ed? It, it was short. It was only it's it, two hours. It was Dallas to Chicago. Ah, okay. See, I or think if you were to, that Chicago to Dallas. Okay, I think if you were to do like uh, overseas, like to Australia or the UK or something, I think you would notice the difference in yeah. in the pressure more in the in, in, you know the cabin cabin uh, pressurization. Yeah. Sorry, because apparently it's pressurized for like eight thousand feet. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, well like I, I'll I'll let you know as we we get more. I'm sure I won't break it up on free ride Friday, but. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I still think it's it's just a good looking plane. I mean, it really is. It's a really it good looking good plane. plane. I'll, I'll, I will give it that good stuff. Did, were, were you were you sitting on the wing, by the way? Did, yes, but I was in like a, I was in a middle aisle, so it was really hard for me to see out. Right, because when you sit on the wing, like in the window seat, when you're just right, literally on the wing, you watch that ring that that wing go up, and it goes up quite a bit. It's kind of mm. freaky. Because <laughs> you're not usually used to seeing the wings move, right? Right. <laughs> so that's yeah. kind of cool too. But um, yeah. All right. Cool. Well, right. Do, you have a, do you have another short one before a break, or we can do a carryover too? Set yeah, this up. one would probably be a carryover. But um, well, this is interesting, Ed. I didn't realize this, but um, <laughs> back in February, February first, I think, Fidel Jr., Fidel Castro. Junior, sixty-eight uh-huh. years old, shot himself, committed suicide. Yeah. yeah, because of depression. Now, I, I read this in a couple different things. The first off, the Cuba state media reported it, so everybody was very untrustworthy. <laughs> uh, but apparently, it's been confirmed. Um, so, 
there's some there's some interesting things to say about this and and let's just do it after the break because I know we're up against it here. And folks, again, I'd like to remind you, please go out to iTunes, do a review of the show. If you type any any comments or any feedback, we will read it on the air. We really like to get those reviews. They really help us get guests and uh, they're kind of the currency of of podcasters. And of course, we will post full show notes at the soul of enterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Abacus Next. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Results CRM, the award-winning Abacus Next product, is a customer relationship management solution that will automate your business processes, streamline workflows, and deliver consistent results. Cloud-enabled to provide access to your users anytime from anywhere. Grow your business in 2018 with the number one QuickBooks CRM. To learn more about Results CRM, visit ResultsCRM.com. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're doing Free Rider Friday for the month of February. And Ed, just to finish up on Fidel Jr. here, um, it's interesting. I, I first learned of this from Jay Nordlinger, who's at National Review Online. He's a journalist, and he's also written lots of books, but one of those books is Children of Monsters. <laughs> so he wrote a whole book about the kids of dictators, mm. Hitler, Stalin, you know, what, and, and it was absolutely fascinating. I mean, talk, talk about not being held accountable, you know, for the sins of your father. So some of these some of these kids are really great human beings. Others are are just as bad as their parents, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really fascinating. But anyway, the, uh, Fidel Jr. was known as Fidelito. I guess means little Fidel. Uh, yeah. And and when he was a kid, and the uh, Fidel and the mother got separated, they divorced, and um, she wouldn't let the kid go back to visit. Fidel and finally he convinced her and she said but you do promise to return him and he said oh absolutely and of course he never did 
<laughs> and they ended up sending him to school in New York. But then he went to the USSR and studied nuclear physics, married a Russian woman. 1980, he got a job at Cuba's Atomic Energy Commission. And I found this interesting. 1992, Fidel fired him <laughs> for mismanagement and incompetence. <laughs> mm. So nepotism doesn't even work in communism, apparently. Um, and then in 2000, he was kind of re rehabilitated uh, and worked at the Cuban Academy of Sciences as a science advisor who traveled around the world. So he, he, he never touched the levers of power, but just really interesting. Uh, he battled with depression all of his life. Gee, I wonder why. Um, but just thought that was interesting. We lost another Castro. Yeah. Yeah. No, interesting. And uh, what I, I guess I didn't realize is that that uh, uh, he he was married to the Russian woman. That's that's pretty interesting that, that he would have have done that. But I, well, one thing he said, but Hitler didn't have kids. So I, I wonder what the who the book was talking about there. No. He, he uh, Hitler. And this is purportedly there's no proof for it had a son. And there's even a picture of it in the book. Um, really? I remember reading that and kind of being halfway blown away because I didn't know that either. But mm -hmm. I, 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 if I remember right, and I have to go back and look, if I remember right, it's supposedly, it hasn't been proven yet. And I don't mm. know why it wouldn't be able to be proven. I can't remember when he died, but, you know, so DNA yeah. testing or whatever, if that's even possible. I'm not sure what happened to the body, but there is a picture sure. of him. And he does look like, <laughs> does look like Adolf, I have to say. No, well, there you go. There you go. All right, Ron. Well, I, I got one here. This is uh, on the on the lighter side of things. Uh, you know, I've been been in search of a of a new favorite comedian since our previous favorite favorite comedian was taken out in the the scandal. Oh, yes. uh, right. So and Louis and look, yeah, yeah. So I yes. was going to mention the name because it's politically incorrect even to mention his name. But so now, now I, I'm I, I've always liked this guy, but I like him even more after this story uh, came out this week. Uh, but uh, the comedian Dave Chappelle. Oh sure, yeah. Right? right, funny, funny guy. Right, he is. Uh, and we'll post this. This is by the by the little quick video is about a minute long. Not suitable for work, by the way. So be on the lookout for that. But uh, I, uh, what I now realize is that that Chappelle understands. Uh, for international trade relationships better than Donald Trump does. <laughs> okay. oh, that wouldn't be hard. No, exactly. I think my, exactly. my, my old dog understood trade better than Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that was because his name was Winston. So therefore, right. but, um, but so this is, this is the quote from the article and I'll leave out the expletives, right? You know, he says, Tr Trump says stuff like, I'm going to go to China and I'm going to get jobs from China and bring them back to America. <laughs> Chappelle interrupts himself and says, for what? So that iPhones can be $9,000? <laughs> He's like, leave that job in China where it belongs. I want to wear Nikes. I don't want to, I don't want to make those things. <laughs> that is a He's, great line. He's like, stop trying to give us Chinese jobs. We don't need Chinese jobs. <laughs> So there's uh, clearly he he gets it. <laughs> he gets That's, it. That is a great line. I want to <laughs> wear Nikes, not make them. <laughs> That's very so, good. And yeah, no, and it's and it's it's dead on. I I you know the, I continue to not understand the international policy relations. I'll say this. 
it, I, it, he hasn't done much. I mean, the, for all the talk, there there wasn't there wasn't there hasn't been a lot of of uh, uh, trade proliferation and, pro, and and him increasing and uh, the you know tariffs and such. There's some, but not not a lot. Right, he did it on washing machines, I think, or something, yeah. and pretty substantially too. And and I know the lumber with Canada, but yeah, his bark has definitely been bigger than his bite. I mean, all presidents have played those games of raising tariffs for certain industries. I mean, Bush did it, Obama did it, Clinton did it, Reagan did it, Reagan yep. did it. You know, on uh, well, not not on automobiles. He did the whole voluntary thing, you know, voluntary quotas thing, but he did on motorcycles. To save Harley Davidson. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, Dave Chappelle. He is a funny guy. I think he's underrated, but he, yeah, I, I've been kind of keeping my eye on him for a long time. He's very, very, he's very funny sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Good I, stuff. I so, well, cool, Ed. Well, I got one here and I got two here actually. They're kind of semi related because they deal with the same topic. And, and, I, I don't know what to think about this. I really don't. I'm kind of ambivalent about it, but I, I, I wasn't aware of it. You, you probably saw the, the Elon Musk, you know, SpaceX liftoff, right? Of what it was it, Heavy Falcon or whatever. Mm-hmm. With the, when the boosters came back, thought that was kind of cool. I mean, it, it, it really is a technological feat. I give Musk a lot of credit for that. But one thing I didn't know was that, you know, he, he's now in this latest liftoff with the heavy rocket that he sent up a Tesla. <laughs> yes. One of his, yes. One of his cars. You know, he was sending it on its way to Mars or something. I, I, I don't know if, it, if that worked or not. But anyway, um, what I didn't realize is the government does not insure cargo that goes into space. And on one of SpaceX's prior launch of a Northrop Grum- Grumman satellite, which cost $3 billion, by the way, mm-hmm. it blew up. Yep. It blew up on launch, and it's not insured. And that means you and I insure it as taxpayers. And I just, I don't know what to think about that. I mean, is that is that better than buying an insurance policy as taxpayers? Because the costs are so dispersed over so many? Or, I, I don't know. I mean, if this was a private venture you would probably have insurance or it would be offered by SpaceX. Right. Right. Like if I ship something with FedEx and I want it insured, they'll, they'll insure it for me. Now mm-hmm. SpaceX would have to probably go get a reinsurance company to, to write the policy. Right. Cause they're not in the insurance business, but I, I just don't know the article I read about this said, well, either way, there should be full transparency because when this happened, this this um, satellite that they they figured it dropped into the Indian Ocean, when mm-hmm. the Pentagon was asked about it, of course, what what are bureaucrats great at shifting blame? They said, "Oh, well, you'll have to refer to SpaceX." Right. They, they did the launch, and then so the reporters went and asked Space SpaceX about it, and and the spokes person for SpaceX said, well, the Falcon 9 did everything correctly on Sunday night. <laughs> and I'm just trying to think of the moral hazard involved with this, you know. Uh, it yeah, just, it just seems odd. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, so I guess the, the, the way you're saying that we are responsible in terms of it is because the satellite was was, was owned by the U.S. government. Is that correct? Yes. It was built. Yes, it was okay. built with government taxpayer money. It was a Pentagon project. Got it. 
Got right. it. Okay. So therefore, if it blew up, so we got to build it again. So that's that's the insurance policy. Yep. Okay. So uh, why, can't, I, you know, why can't they buy insurance? Uh, maybe we need another another little box in the on the tax return. Are you willing to you know have allocate ten cents of your tax return to go to space insurance? Uh, <laughs> Just... <laughs> I, something I never even thought of that the cargo and in, in these launches is not even insured, which I which I find fascinating. The other one, really quick, th- this is just really funny. Have you ever been to Stonehenge? In I have any? not been to Stonehenge. No, no. Nope. Okay, well, you know, some five thousand years ago, right? Uh, yeah. Well, California may leave behind something very similar, and these. <laughs> These are these cement pathways, you know, these overheads along in the 119-mile pathway in central California from Bakersfield to Madera. Mm-hmm. And they're unfinished. And this is the high-speed high, high speed rail corridor. Right. And, and uh, yeah, great, a great article on this by Victor David Hansen, who's at the Hoover Institution. He's a great historian. He said, this is California Stonehenge, which I just thought was really, really funny. Because, you know, this thing was supposed to cost $33 billion, Ed, when we voted for it, like idiots in California back in 2008. <laughs> and, of course, the, the the cost have soared, right? I mean, now it's it's up to $64 billion. They've started this thing, but it's, you know, it's been a lot more complicated and costly than they thought. They kind of ran out of money. And so now they're figuring, well, where's the money going to come from? Well, probably not the federal government. I mean, Trump doesn't want anything to do with this. Can California find its own money? Well, probably not. Get this, 150,000 households out of 40 million people who live in the state of California, 150,000 households pay half of this state's income tax. Sounds about right, Ron, don't, don't you think? Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of, um, wow. And we've also slipped from fifth to, uh, in the U.S. to 35th, by the way, in annual economic growth. Despite Silicon Valley, you know, being still the bastion of, you know, tech. Um, just, I, I just, I, I just thought that was a great comparison, though, because I, I, I've seen some of these overheads, and he's, he's like, right, if if this thing doesn't get finished, this could be our Stonehenge. That's pretty funny. Could be. I also think you're gonna you're gonna lose congressional seats in the next census, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, we've been losing population, so. So it'll be interesting to see. All right, we're, we're up against our last break run. As always, Free Rider Friday just flies by. Want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And as Ron mentioned earlier, the Soul of Enterprise is the website for show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Please, please, please take a time out right now. If you're on, if you're listening to this on a, on a podcast, hit hit the pause button right now. And quick rate the Soul of Enterprise on your podcast application. We really appreciate that. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. 
For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are free riding on Friday here at the Soul of Enterprise. This, of course, is the show that's airing the last Friday of February 2018. Ron's come down to the wire, our last segment here. So this is where we have to try and you know jam as many as we can in. But I want to share this one with you because it's been in my stack for a little bit of time. And that is a story from the Competitive Enterprise Institute talked by Richard Morrison, the food pyramid. That remember that? Did you oh, yeah. starting in the late eighties, right? Yep. Com- completely wrong, Ron. It's it was oh, completely no. wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, the government they had they were it's no all wrong. We're just kidding. Um, that's not the way to eat. So we gotta we gotta you know reverse the thinking on this. Uh, it you know it, surprisingly, Ron, it's not all about carbs. It's not <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, that stuff that we talked about, salt, and, you know, scaring the crap out of you for having too much salt. Right. Yeah, forget that too, Ron. Forget that too. Yeah, I remember this, yeah. So that's that's good. Uh, Look, this is, you know, really bizarre. If you, the the science on this is still, in my opinion, the science on on nutrition is in its infancy. So why why we have governments... weighing in on what we should and should not consume, knowing full well that because we have bootleggers and Baptists who are going to get together and promote one kind of food over another, it can't can't but happen. I I wish the government would just shut up completely about what to eat and when to eat it and, and just stop the whole nonsense of being involved in it. It's completely ridiculous. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, put warning labels on cigarettes and alcohol or whatever, because uh, that's pretty well settled. But every every week there's a new scare. Oh, don't drink coffee. Oh, you know, coffee's good for you. Oh, no, don't have red wine. Oh, no, red, red wine's good for you. I mean, one thing to the other, it's just the anxiety's going to kill us. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. Completely agree. So, all right. Anyway, what do you got? Let's keep it. Keep it. Let's keep it moving. All right, Ed. Well, this is kind of a long one, uh, and of course, because it involves George Gilder. Oh, and oh gosh. Okay. 
First off, you know, this whole uh, life on the edge, there's a great article in The Economist talking about there's a big shift going on in the tech industry. Computing is moving from the cloud back to the edge of local ne- networks and intelligent devices. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting, right? Because we go through these cycles, right? Remember, computers sure. used to be in the room and they used to be centralized and they decentralized with the PC and then everything back into the cloud. Well, now the you know the theory is that well, you take a self-driving car that generates 25 gigabytes per hour of information, 30 times more than a high-definition video stream. By the time that data is uploaded and instructions are sent back from the cloud, <laughs> you've already hit the pedestrian. So <laughs> the intelligence needs to be in the, in the trunk of the car, right? Right. And, and because yep. of chips and hard, better hardware and intelligent devices and all these other technological innovations – this stuff is going it, to, it, it's moving back to the edge. Internet of Things is another, an, another way of doing this. In fact, last May, Microsoft changed its slogan from mobile first, cloud first, to mm-hmm. intelligent cloud and intelligent edge. Mm. So this seems to be a trend that's going on. Well, then in February 9th, there's an interview with George Gilder in Forbes and and it, this thing's like 17 printed out pages. I can't go through all of it, but he's interviewed by Rich Carlgard, who, who's another great technology writer, economist type guy. And he asked Gilder, he says, is technology per progress accelerating or decelerating at the level of society? And Gilder says, it's continuing to advance in some areas like cryptography and sensors, but it's bogging down in other areas like semiconductors and clean industry. He says, there's nothing inevitable about technological progress, right? It's the product of human creativity. And then he goes on to say that he's talking about the stock market. And he says, the so-called stock market boom. And Carl Gard stops and says, what do you mean, a so-called boom? It's, it's tripled since March 2009. And Gilder makes this point. He says, yeah, that's true. But I think it's been nullified by the drastic shrinkage in the number of public companies. Since the 1990s, there's been a 50% drop in the number of public companies, plus a real dearth in IPOs, a 90% drop. Um, so-called communist China has twice as many IPOs as we do, which is wow. which is a really interesting point. Um, and then he's and then he's asked about blockchain, and he says blockchain is an amazing effervescence of creativity. You know, he he. Uh, he really starts talking about the great things that are going to happen because of blockchain. And Carl Gard asks him, are you ready to name winners and losers? And he says, no, not yet, but I will be in a couple months. He's got a book coming out, by the way, um, called Life After Google. And get the subtitle, The Fall of Big Data and the Rise of the Blockchain Economy. Love and it. The, the title of this article, this interview, is Why Technology Profit, George Gilder Predicts big text disruption. Then he goes on to say, Ed, and and again, this is just so fascinating on so many different levels. He says, you know, today's Silicon Valley is kind of like a throwback to the progressive era. Life organized as Frederick Taylor, and he calls it Silicon Valley's delusion. They have this kind of nerd fascism, he says, where the only thing that matters is the highest IQ. And uh, he says, but what they're really doing is they're destroying information rather than expanding it. And he says, you know, you can you can talk about uh, Amazon or uh, 
you know, what is it? Alphabets Go, right? The deep learning mm-hmm. Go. He says, you can play more games in Go than the whole human race has played through all of history. He said, but that's not a great advance in intelligence. It's the same intelligence, just accelerated to tera- terahertz speed. And, and then he goes on to profile some of these Peter Thiel uh, fellows. You know, these mm-hmm. are people that get like $150,000. They, they, uh, they don't go to college. Usually they're, they're they, you know, coming out of high school. And they start companies. And if TLC will see something in them, he gives them these, you know, these uh, seed money. And he profiles, well, the founder of Ethereum is one of them. But then he profiles a couple of other fellows that he's encountered. Um, Austin Russell, founder of, of Luminar. Um, you know, he's got a whole different system for driverless cars than what Waymo and all the others are working on. And then this other guy at Lamb, Lambda Labs, Stephen Balabin, um, he's he's working on new chip um, design that is going to you know supposedly shake things up. So obviously Gilder's immersed in this topic because of this book <laughs> that mm-hmm. he's writing, sure. which is due out by the way in July, and and we will definitely get him back on the show when it comes out. But he he finishes up and he says uh, that he sees. The, the, the you know a new economy a new architecture based on cryptography and blockchains he says it's the great unbundling will will dissolve you know the googles the alphabets the amazons will disperse the clouds of concentrated computing commerce the clouds are dispersing into the skies sky computing rendered on your laptop and smartphone spread across blockchains transparent and transformative so he's kind of backing up the same thing that this is all moving to the edge and it's, just really interesting to think about what is going to disrupt Google, Amazon. Well, that's what nothing, nothing, about. Ron. Nothing is going to disrupt them. We'd have to break them up. We have I to know, break them up, Ron. The so, the, yeah, this okay. just like IBM, Ma Bell. Ex- exactly, exactly. Hey, look, I know we got thirty seconds before close, but it, it, you know what you just talked about, Ron, makes me confused. And you know what? That's okay. I'm going to post the show notes in this. A great article from Logan Albright: Children don't need protecting from being confused. In fact, it's when we do our first thinking. So that's the last one I want to offer uh, to that. But uh, what do we got uh, coming up in a week, Ron? Ed, I'm so excited because this is one of your mentors that you introduced me to. We have author Peter Block coming on the show, which I'm really excited about. Absolutely. I'm going to be blown away. Look forward to to having your mind expanded. All right, Ron, I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. In the meantime, check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. For more information, you can listen to every show we've ever done there. Also, you can contact Ed and myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.